nothing like singing about how great our God is and about what a great name he has. I think some of the closest things we get here this side of heaven is when we all get to sing together. One of the things I loved about that new song that I heard this last week was that part where uh, a thousand generations. Can you just imagine when we get to heaven, all the voices before the low, before the Lord crying out, "Worthy is the Lamb that was slain," and singing praise to our God. That's going to be so awesome and so amazing. But we get a little taste of that when we sing together and in our private worship as well. The Lord is so good to us. We take our Bibles this morning to Mark chapter number twelve. Mark chapter number twelve. And I know some of you might be a little extra tired because of time change and things. But I would really, I would like them just to leave time alone now, right? Just leave it right where it's at. I like the extra hour in the evening of daylight, but just leave it alone. Be done with it. God didn't need them to do a daylight savings time. I don't see Jesus setting his clock and the disciples setting their clock and getting up the right time the next day. I don't see any of that happening. And so, anyways, that's just my little thing. There. I like gas prices a little bit in Arizona, and I like that they don't change their time either. I like that in Arizona. And so, and um, I see some people, you see Facebook and things, and they're complaining about paying $4 and something for gas. I'm like, before all this craziness, that we were still paying that here. I don't know what you're complaining about. And uh, it's amazing how high it's gotten. And uh, anybody wants, you can just start riding your bike around. Just there's a lot easier that way or maybe it's just all a setup to get everybody to get electric cars who knows but that has nothing to do with any of my message today and so that's all i'll say and i'll leave that alone mark chapter number 12 today we're continuing on where we've been and continuing to go forward here in the book of mark a few weeks ago we saw that jesus went into the temple he wasn't happy with what was going on and he turned over the money changers tables and the seats of those that sold the doves and he caused a scene in the temple. And so after he caused a scene in the temple, he left the next day. This is the last day, his last week before he dies on the cross. It's leading up to there. The Bible tells us that the chief priests, scribes, they wanted to kill him. They did not like him. They did not like what he stood for. They wanted to kill him and get rid of him. We saw the next day, so Tuesday in that week, Jesus goes back into the temple there. And during that time, we see the chief priests, the scribes, the elders come to him and basically say, who do you think you are to do what you did yesterday? By what authority do you do these things? And Jesus said, I'm going to ask you a question. And after you answer my question, I'll answer your question. My question is this, the baptism of John, was the men or was the God? Well, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders thought among themselves, they're like, if we say of God, then we will say that we believed in John the Baptist. If we say it was of men, the people believed John was a prophet, and the people aren't going to be happy. So they looked at Jesus and said, we're not going to answer. And Jesus looked at them and said, I'm not going to answer you either. Chapter 12 here in the book of Mark starts with a parable. And this parable is about a vineyard. And we looked at how this vineyard and this parable applies to Israel. The, the Lord of the vineyard, the master, the one who owned the vineyard was God, and God protected Israel. God loved Israel. God done so much for Israel. God gave them husbandmen 
to watch the vineyard. The husbandmen re, um, resembled or it was portrayed by the religious people of that day. The husbandmen were supposed to help produce the fruit there in that vineyard. But something happened. It wasn't happening the way it was supposed to. So the owner of the vineyard sent servants to go help get the fruit. The servants represented the Old Testament prophets and John the Baptist. The prophets were sent, and when the prophets were sent, the first one's beaten, the others are killed, and in other words, it didn't work. So the owner of the vineyard decides, I'm going to send my own son. They'll receive my son. But they send his own son, and they kill his son. And the chief priests, the elders and scribes, knew that Jesus was talking about them and what they were going to do. And it says that they wanted to kill him the more. Last week, we saw they left. And in the book of Luke, they used the word they sent spies in. They sent in some Herodians and some Pharisees. And the Bible says that they blended them in with everyone else. You know, they didn't wear matching shirts to go talk to Jesus. That didn't work for them. Sorry, I won't say anything else. Well, I'll try not to, okay? But they didn't do that. And so they come up to Jesus, and they ask Jesus a question. They're in the temple. Should we, give should we pay our taxes is the gist of what they ask. Now that's a loaded question right there. They were trying to trick and to trap Jesus because if Jesus were to say no not to pay taxes, the Herodians could have him arrested because they followed Herod. If you had the other way around, the religious people, there could have been problems there as well. And so, should we pay taxes? And Jesus asked them for a coin. They give him a coin. He says, whose head's on the coin? He said, Caesar's. And Jesus makes this statement. you got your Bibles there in Mark 12. Look at verse 17. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Kind of like their mouth dropped open like, Whoa. They didn't trap him. They didn't get him. So do they stop this? No, it continues. Look at verse 18 through 27 today. Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they ask him, saying, look at how they approach him, master, teacher, they, a respectful answer. Moses wrote unto us, if a man's brother die, leave his wife behind him, and leave no children that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, here, this probably will not happen, but they ask this here. Now, there are seven brothers, there are seven brothers, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed, and the second took her and died, neither left he any seed, and the third likewise, and the seven had her. So he, she married all seven of these brothers, and had no seed, last of all, the woman dies also. Now, my first question would be, what did she put in their food? Because this is the seventh husband that's died. I would be questioning that more than, but so their question is this. He marries, she marries each of them. So look at the next verse, verse 23. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye do not know the because ye know not the scripture, neither the power of God. For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. 
marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven, and as touching the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. Father in heaven, we need you this morning. I pray that you guide us today. We love you. We need you. Guide our thoughts today. Thank you for this passage. And once again, I said it last service, and I'll say it again. I know they were trying to mess you up in this passage and get you in your words. But I see this passage as something that we all need today. So thank you for your words so many years ago that are still so relevant in 2022. Guide our thoughts today. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's like one group goes in and tries and they fail, so they send the next group in to try with Jesus. Now we have the Sadducees. The title of my message is this, What's Wrong with the Sadducees? And you know, one thing, I don't think they ever smiled. Because they're sad, you see. Is that too much on the day of, uh, was that too much? I think I actually, I think my father-in-law used to, I think your dad used to say that one. I think that's where I actually heard that one for the first time. And I should know better than to use my father-in-law's jokes. I should. But, you know, every once in a while, you just got to throw it out. And some of you smile. That's the first time you smiled today. It's okay. You can smile. And in church, you should be, you can smile. It's all good. But what's wrong with the Sadducees? When you think about the Sadducees here, the Sadducees would be where the chief priests the high priest would come from of this group. They were known to know the Bible. They were the scripture experts of the day. But there's a problem with them. And you got in your notes there, I put some of these things there. Something about the Sadducees is they didn't believe all the books of the Old Testament. They believed in the five books of the law. They believed in the books of Moses. So they believed in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch, the, the law. They believed the law. They also, when you look at the Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in judgment. They didn't believe in the afterlife or angels. They believed that you live here, and when you're done, you're done. That's what, that was their belief. And yet, they were the ones who know the scriptures. We're supposed to be the scripture experts, right? And I know we could say this morning, well, they only studied the first five books of the Bible. I think you could find in the law most of these things. You don't have to have the whole book to figure out things about judgment coming. I think you can see, and you talk about some things about a resurrection. I think you could look at Abraham's life, and Isaac, and Jacob. There's lots of things we'll talk, and I love how Jesus uses their own books against them. I love that. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But as we look here, and we look at the Sadducees here, they come to set him up. We look at verse number 19. They start out with that respectful title. Remember last week, the Herodians and the Pharisees? Master, they come respectfully. So Master, hey teacher, we have a question for you. And we see they get right into it. Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him, and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, where did they get that from? The books of the law. Those are the books they studied, right? So in Deuteronomy, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 25.5, if brethren dwell together, 
and one of them die and have no children, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. For her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. Now, I'm glad, aren't you glad that it doesn't work the same today? Some, some would, you know, so what the problem was here and what happened is, and in Bible days, the firstborn got the inheritance. The firstborn carried on the family name. It was normally that way. So you got to Joseph and things and all that stuff changed in the family there. And, and Judah got the blessings to Reuben. But you think back with me to Judah as an example. Judah's oldest son married Tamar. He died. He did evil in the sight of God and he died. And so what happened was Judah's next son had to marry Tamar. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details, but he was supposed to raise up children in the name of his older brother to carry on that family. What he did was he enjoyed the pleasures of certain things, and he did not have children by the things that he did. God killed him. And technically, the, younger, the youngest son was supposed to be married to Tamar. And remember, Judah kind of didn't follow plan, and we know about the prostitution and all those things. But you see, that's where this setup comes from. The idea was that the firstborn carried on the family name, and so if the firstborn died, the brother would marry his wife and raise up seed for the firstborn. That's the way it was set up. So what we see is, we see for a fact here that they, they knew some Old Testament things. They knew some of the law. Now they go a little further, and you look there, and it says in verse 20, Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed. And the second took her and died, neither left he any seed. And the third likewise, and the seven had her and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. Now, this is like, this probably is not going to just happen, okay? There's a lot, you know, this is like, this would, a lot of things would have to happen just perfectly for the, it's one of those things that's not going to really ever happen. But they're throwing out a hypothetical to try and get Jesus. Now, what's interesting to me, they don't believe in the resurrection, do they? But look at what... For when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. So they don't believe in the resurrection, do they? How do we know that? It says in verse 18, Then come the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. They don't even believe in the resurrection, but they're trying to use the resurrection to mess Jesus up. That's what they're trying to do. And, you know, you look at this story, it reminds me of this husband and wife. They've been married for 50 years, and the husband went on to heaven, and the wife lived on a few more years. And when she finally passed, she went to heaven as well, and she saw in the distance, she saw her husband. And she's like, oh, he's here! We get to be together again! I'm so excited! And she ran up to him. He's like, don't you remember the wedding vows? Till death do us part. <laughs> that was actually Jean that told me that. Jean, the, one of our older ladies, she told me that last service. So I used that just because she told me that joke last service. I couldn't even think of that one. And it's funny, her husband's the one who's gone already, and she's the one who's still here. But anyways, <laughs> throws out this question. There are seven brothers. Which one is going to be the one that's married to her? In the resurrection, what's going to happen, Jesus? Now, Josephus was a historian of the day, and one of the things he tells us is the fact that the Pharisees had given an answer to this. The Pharisees believed 
that the first husband would have been the one that she would have been married to. That was what they said during that day. But Jesus says something completely different than what we're used to seeing. So let's look at this. Let's look at what Jesus says. And verse 24, it says, And Jesus answering said to them, Do ye, there, do ye not therefore err? The word err, as we look right there, it means to wander off course, to go aside from the right way. Hey, you are not going down the right path with this question. Why is that? Well, two things. Because ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. Hold on to that, because that's going to be the meat of the message when I'm done. That's where we're going. Look at the next verse. For when they shall rise from the dead. Now, do you see Jesus doesn't say, if they shall rise from the dead? He says, when. It's going to happen. He, Jesus is saying right there, I know you guys don't believe in the resurrection, and you're tempting me with the resurrection here, but when it happens, we'll keep on reading, when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven, and as touching the dead, that they rise. Well, you say, whoa, so I'm not going to be married to my spouse in heaven? I love them so much. And I just, what's heaven going to be like? That's the problem that we have. We like to take heaven and make heaven just a continuation of what earth is. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. That's what the Bible says. So Jesus really gives us two powerful statements, two powerful things here that I want to give you before we dive deeper. Number one is this. Marriage is an earthly institution. Marriage is an earthly institution. God set up marriage. That's why I want you to understand something today, and I don't want to, well, if it offends you, I'm sorry if you get offended, but I'm just going to speak the truth. Since God is the one who instituted marriage, then God is the one who decides what marriage is. Man should not be able to decide what man thinks marriage is. A court should not decide what they believe marriage is. A governor or president should not decide what they think marriage is. God designed it. God ordained it. God should tell us what marriage is. It's just like God made them male and female. Binary wasn't an option. Or what you feel like for the day. That was not an option with God. It's male or female. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. God's the one who made man. So God's the one who gets to decide that. That's just how it should be. God made marriage between one man and one woman. That's God's design for marriage. That, if you want to call it something else, call it something else. But when it comes to marriage, that's what biblical marriage is. One man, one woman for life. When we talk about this marriage as an earthly institution, why did God set up marriage? God designed it for companionship. Genesis 2, verse number 18, the scripture tells us, And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. God looked at man and God said, and out of all, God said everything he made was good, right? It's the first time you see this isn't good. God made a woman for companionship. And not to lord over, but to wear the shirt she wants you to every once in a while. Things like that. Whatever the case may be. I said I was going to stop. I need to stop. It was for companionship. Another reason why God set up marriage was to 
take care of fornication. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. There are some natural tendencies that God has given to man and ladies that are meant to be done in marriage and marriage only. Fornication is doing something that belongs in marriage outside of marriage, not being married. Adultery is doing something with someone you're not married to. But the Bible says to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. It's another reason why God gave the marriage relationship. We go further with this. God also did it to produce children, to replenish the earth. That was God's design for it. God designed homes to have children. And I get very concerned about our world today where people don't want kids anymore. God, God placed a high value on kids. And kids are a blessing from God. And God, and whatever your quiver is, get your quiver full of them. God is good. And children are a blessing. But you look at our world, the less and less children you have, the less and less your generations continue on. There's a lot of that could be said down that line that I'm not going to go down this morning, but you got to understand that marriage is an earthly institution. The second thing that Jesus really drove home here was that life will be different in heaven. Life will be different. I think some of us think it's just going to be a continuation of what we left here. It's not. Heaven is different. Heaven's a completely different place, and praise God for that. Some things about heaven I want you just to remember this morning. Letter A, there's going to be no more sickness, no more sorrow. Hey, there's going to be no more suffering, no more sin. You know, the greatest part about heaven is the fact that we get to be with Jesus forever. I think the second greatest thing is that I'm never going to sin again. And that you're never going to sin again. I'm not going to have to lock the doors on my mansion worried about you coming in. You're not going to have to do it with me. There's going to be no need for policemen in heaven. No more sin. Hey, there'll be no more sickness. There's going to be no more sorrow. The Bible tells us Revelation 21.4, And God shall wipe all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. If you want heaven to be just like it is here on earth, I don't think you want that. You want it different. Praise God it's going to be different. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness. Let her be. We're going to get new bodies. Praise God. Praise God. And some of you that are, your bodies that are wearing out, they're, they're all wearing out. I'm only 36 and my body's starting to wear out. Someone said, last verse, Pastor, you're limping a little bit. I ran five miles this morning. My body didn't feel like running five miles this morning. So I'm limping a little bit. Now we get a new body. Bible tells us 1 Corinthians 15, 50, it says, Now this I say, brethren, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And someday we're going to get that new glorified body. Man, can't wait for that. I always have teased, but in my days of being a little bit bigger than what I am now, I see all those skinny people that can just eat and eat and eat and eat, and they just stay skinny. And it's always been for me, if I look at food, it grows, 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 grows. 
I believe in heaven, you know, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. I believe in heaven, those skinny people that eat like that are going to have the fattest glorified bodies that we've ever seen. <laughs> and I believe this, the people down here that have to fight for every pound that they lose and everything that they do, I'm going to have the best, skinniest glorified body ever. That's probably stretching that just a little bit. <laughs> but a glorified body. Man, no more back pain, Russ. You're going to be running around heaven doing cartwheels. Probably play baseball. Well, I don't know if they play baseball in heaven, but if they do, you might be able to. So, um, new bodies. How about this one? Letter C will be reunited with other believers who've died before us. That cloud of witnesses that's watching us now. And say, well, what, are, what will our relationships be like? We don't fully understand it all right now. But we know that, to, that our loved ones are with the Lord. And we're going to be with them forever. Heaven is about us being with God. And when we're with him, everything else will be just wonderful. Letter D. The best part about heaven, we get to be with Jesus forever. That's what makes heaven heaven. You know, you can give me a perfect body, a mansion, streets of gold. You can give me all those things. But if Jesus isn't there, I'd rather have Jesus and have a little shack in the middle of Africa. Give me Jesus. That's what heaven is. Jesus. The Bible tells us 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 8, and 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, I say, and rather willing to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. What a truth in that verse. So Jesus tells us some things. Marriage, it's an earthly institution. Heaven's going to be a little different than what earth is here. And then we see Jesus talk to them some more. He looked there in the middle of verse 26, and he says, Have you not read in the book of Moses? I love how he, he just keeps going back to the books that they read. Hey, you guys have read this. You know this. Hey, you, this is the books you guys read, right? Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I love, and what a great lesson that is for us today. I'll just give you an example. One of the things I love to do if I go, if I'm going and I'm witnessing to someone, a lot of times people will say that they're Catholic. I get that response a lot. So what I like to do is, I ask them to go get their Catholic Bible for me. And you say, oh, you use their Catholic Bible? Yeah, I do. There might be some things left out and some things not there, but there's enough there to know you're a sinner, to know that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for sin, to realize that you can't not work your way to heaven, and that you gotta, it comes by faith and grace alone, and how to get saved. I show them from their book. I've said these words. I think, I'm sure your priest has showed you this before. He's never showed me this before. But you see, Jesus just taught that lesson right there. Jesus didn't go to Psalms. He didn't go to Jeremiah or Isaiah. He went to their books. You guys know these books, right? You're supposed to be masters of the scripture. So let's go back to your books. It's a great lesson right there. It's a great thought right there. I love what Jesus says here. You guys don't believe in the resurrection. And yet, what did, what did God say to Moses? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Was Abraham standing right there? With Moses that day, was he alive here on earth? No, he wasn't. Was Isaac 
standing right there with Moses and alive at the same time? No. Was Jacob alive standing right there with them here on earth? No. So if the scriptures were to say, if God were to have told Moses, I was the God of Abraham. Hey, I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. That's not what it says, does it? I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob because though they were not physically present, they were still alive. They didn't believe in the afterlife, and Jesus is throwing this back at them in your own books that you read. Doesn't it say that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? There are a lot. Now, he told them some things. He said, the reason why you're wrong is because you don't know my word. And he throws that at them right there. And then he says, because you don't know the power of God. When you think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you think of, let's just talk about Jacob for a while and the barrenness of his wives. Let's go back to Abraham. God's going to give you a son. I'm too old for a son. The power of God was on display. So when Jesus was talking here, to the Sadducees said your two big problems are you don't know my word you don't know the word and he says doesn't, doesn't the word say that I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob He's referring to the fact that there is a resurrection and what he's saying is you don't understand God's power either how could Isaac have ever come along if it wasn't for the power of God how could have all these things come into play now, Jesus answered their questions in that way. I'm not going to dwell on that this morning. But I sincerely believe in the year 2022 that we have some of the same exact problems that the Sadducees had on this day. We greatly err at times. We are greatly wrong at times. We get sidetracked and get away from what we should be doing because of two things. We don't know the word of God, and we don't understand his power. It applies to us today. Let's take a little bit of time and talk about both of these as we close this morning. You say, we're closing? Don't get too comfortable. This is the closing. It's a long closing. It's like you're there and you're, all right, tower, am I allowed to land the plane yet? Nope, keep circling. How long do you want me to circle? Just keep circling. It's, we're circling still. He's still got a little bit of time. Number one, do you know the word of God? Do you individually know the word of God? We see Jesus said twice, hey, you err because you don't know the word and you don't know the power of God. And then at the end of verse 27, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, ye therefore do greatly err. You are wrong, and now he says you're greatly wrong in this area. Hey, church, you know why we go wrong today? Because we don't know God's word. Do you know the word of God? Do you know the truths of God's word? The average person doesn't even know the four gospels, the names of them. 
couple of polls I want to put up on the screen for you this morning. In America, this one was in 2019. Among Americans, how much of the Bible have you personally read? So the dark red, 10% of people that were surveyed, LifeWay Research is the ones who put this out, 10% of those surveyed said they've not read any of the Bible ever. 13% said a few sentences. This is among Americans. Some said several passages or stories. You see that that makes up 53%. You wonder why a society gets away from God and has nothing to do with God? Because they don't know God's word. 15% said at least half of it. 12% they've read almost all of it. 11% said they've read all of it. And 9% said they've read all of it more than once. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Those same Americans were asked, what, which of the following describes the Bible? And they gave them these options. Good source of morals, 52% said that. Historical account, 38%. Helpful today, 37%. True, 36%. Life-changing, 35%. A story, 34%. Outdated, 14%. Bigoted, 8%. Harmful, 7%. Not sure, 11%. And 3% said none of those. Now, I know you say, well, that's Americans. I get that. So let's talk about Protestant churchgoers. Say, but we're not Protestants. We're Baptists. Just deal with it. You're good. You're good. You're good. Don't worry about it. So of those that go to church, how often do you read the Bible? This was updated in 2021. And it's interesting to note, did you realize, and this is a side note, this, this week, this upcoming week, is two years since all the crazy COVID stuff really set off. Everything really shut down the middle. Uh, two years ago today, I said, who knows what this week's going to hold? It looks kind of crazy. And I said, they're going to sh shut everything. And I was joking, and then they shut everything down. From 2019, the time they did this before, till 2021, during the height of COVID and that, it actually went up 5% of those people who actually read their Bibles, which is interesting, but only 5%, that's not a lot. But this is among Protestant churchgoers this last year. How often do you read the Bible? 32% said every day. A few times a week, 27%. Once a week, 12%. A few times a month, 11%. Once a month, 5%. Rarely or never, 12%. So when you look real close there, we see this is among churchgoers. Okay? This is not just Americans. This is, this is churchgoers. And I would tend to say... And I hate to say I don't trust churchgoers, but I don't trust you and I don't trust myself either. I bet some of them lied on this. I really do. Let's just say it's true. 32%. And so let's just think in this room right now. There's probably about 80 of us in here right now. Half of that would be 40. That's 50%. So about 30, 28 to 30 in this room 
would make up those that read their Bible every day. And everyone else a few times a month, once a week, it goes down from there. Something I thought that's interesting, and this is a total side note, they say that the average church has about 30% of those that tithe. I wonder if those that read their Bibles and tithing go together. It's just a thought. I'm not saying it's true. It's just a thought that I had. I'll leave that there and go no deeper there. The problem we have in Christianity today and in our churches, in our church today, is a lack of knowledge for the Word of God. Do you know the Word of God? Yesterday, Bridget asked me to come over and help her with a screen door on her house. And uh, getting a pastor to help with a screen door, that's trouble right there in itself. <sighs> Jack of all trades, master of none. That would be my name right there. A lot of things that have been done in this building, I've done. Don't look super close, and you'll see why, you know, someone else probably could have done a better job. So she needed the screen door put up. So I go over to her house. She has all the parts laying on the table, and the screen door sitting there. And I'm like, where's the directions? And my thought was Julio threw them away. That's what I thought. You know, real men don't need directions, right, Julio? Right? Yeah, he's shaking his head. So there was a little paper. She said she had to go back to get this little paper even. This little paper was like this big, and it had four steps written on there. At the bottom of step four, it says, save this for step 10. There was no step 10. There was only step four. So I turned around in Espanol to see if I could see on the Espanol side 10. It only went to 4. All these parts were laying there, and I did not know how to put it all together. And so what did I start to do? It can't be that hard. I'm just going to start putting it together. You'd think you'd go online. You weren't there, so don't be telling me what to do. <laughs> think you'd go online. I, what did they do before online? They just figured it out. We'll go there and just we'll go there in a minute. You guys are jumping ahead of me. Just calm down, okay? Glad to know we have a few smart people and or people that think they're smart. We'll leave it there. But um, I started putting it together, and then as I put it up to the door to measure it there, I noticed it wasn't even the right size door that was bought. But Bridget's the one who bought it, so I understand that. So. She measured, she measured the door itself, which that's a good idea, right? But if you're going to buy a screen door, I'm going to give you a little hint. You don't measure the width of the door door of the frame. So the door was 3630. It need to be 3880. So it wasn't quite the right size, but I couldn't figure it all out anyways, and I drilled the holes in the wrong spot anyways. Thank God someone from church works at Home Depot. I can just take it back there. And so Bridget, three hours later, sends me a text. Pastor, I found this online. You know what's embarrassing? When an older lady that doesn't know much on a phone is telling me I could have found it online? That's pretty embarrassing. And Home Depot had a complete spot where it showed you how to do it. And there were two pieces there. It didn't look like it went anything to the door. They were guides that went where to drill the holes at. They were right there the whole time. But personally, I think it is stupid to make a product and not put all the directions in there. Even if you have online, you still should have all the directions right there for you to see. And you say, 
well, most men don't. I'm learning you need to just use the directions, okay? I don't always, but I'm learning. This is the thing. You say, where are you going with it? I'm going somewhere. That screen door was setting me up to fail. The holes are in the wrong spot. It was setting me up to fail. God doesn't set you up to fail in life. He doesn't say, hey, hey, Brian, I want you to have a good marriage. I want you to raise good kids. I want you to, I want you to live a good Christian life. I want you to figure everything out and go figure it out for yourself. Or go find YouTube and figure it out on YouTube. God doesn't do that with us. God says, I've given you a book, and it's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that you, the man of God or the woman of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He's given you everything you need right here to live a victorious Christian life. He's put it all. You have the manual. You don't have to go online. You don't have to sit and hear a pastor preach. You've got the book. You've got the goods. Why do we struggle? Why do we err? Because we don't know this book. I mentioned it before. My dad is a tool guy. In fact, I think he has an addiction to tools. Because there are tools that I don't think I've ever seen him use. remember being a teenager... And I know nowadays we don't do a lot of this stuff. And nowadays cars are smarter than us anyways. I remember a while back our van had an issue and I was going to take it in. They're like, oh, we had to do a software update. <laughs> a software update on my transmission? Yeah. They're even getting computerized. So I'm 16. My dad, taught, my dad was a diesel mechanic for years. He taught me a lot of things about cars and vehicles. Well, I always wondered, in his, in his toolbox there, he had these sockets that had rubber on the inside of those sockets. And I could never understand. I would try using them on regular things, and that rubber would kind of get in the way sometimes. Like, what's the point of having that rubber there? And I come to find out, if you're going to change a spark plug, it's a spark plug one. And it makes a spark plug go in and out pretty easy. Some of you didn't know that this morning. I remember the first time I changed the oil on my car. I know we don't change oil much anymore on our cars, do we? we take it, it's almost cheaper to take it places than to do it ourselves. It's amazing how all that stuff works. But I think it's good, and I, I, I keep saying it in our Christian school, I've got to get to where I do it. Our young men, and they, they need to learn how to change a tire. They need to learn how to change the oil. That, stuff, that stuff's good, valuable lessons. But well, the first time I changed the oil in my, in my Nissan Pathfinder, I got, it's so funny, this last week I got a Nissan Pathfinder again. It's been 20 years, and I got another one. But this, I love my, my old Nissan Pathfinder, but I'm underneath the car, and I'm trying to get the oil filter off. And this thing is on there. And I mean, I'm underneath there, and I'm, I, you know, got one leg, I'm just turning his, and nothing's moving. And I just hear my dad laughing in the garage. He's just laughing in there, like a good dad does. And I'm trying, and I cannot get it off. Tosses this thing underneath there. It looks like a pair of pliers, kind of, except on the end it's got this big hook that comes out. And I'd seen it before. He's like, just stick that on there and just give it a little turn. <laughs> Couldn't you have shown me that five minutes ago? No, I enjoy seeing you struggle. <laughs> it's not that funny. It's not that funny. 
And this is my dad that I learned how to drive with a stick shift. And he took me up on a hill and parked me in the middle of the hill and put the mar emergency brake on. It says, get in, and you're not allowed to roll backwards. And literally, so if you ever go down to Lake Elsinore, I'm just, I'll give you this little, if you go down to Lake Elsinore and uh, Railroad Canyon right there, you have the in and out and stuff right there, and you look, there's this hill that goes up right in the middle of the hill right there. And I'm rolling backwards fast, and he's like, you better hit the brake. I said, you told me not to go backwards. Well, you're going backwards. That's my dad. And I can't wait till my kids get old enough to do the same thing to them. But anyways, are you okay? Just breathe. Breathe. Breathe in. Breathe out. Okay. You're not supposed to sit on the front row if you're going to laugh like this, because then I can't get back to my sermon. The whole point of it was, there were so many tools that my dad has that I still don't know. But it, when you need the right tool, it's so nice to have the right tool. Man, if you need a hammer and all you got is a screwdriver, you can try and make that screwdriver work. And I've done it before. But it's nice to have the right tool. But there are so many Christians today, <laughs> I want a happy marriage. And God says, here's a verse. Here's a tool. I want to, I want to raise my children for God. Well, here's a verse. Here's the tool. I, 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 wanna, I want my anger to go away. Here's the tool. Um, I need help with my addiction. Here's a tool. We don't know it because we don't use it. Why do we go down the wrong path and why do we err? Because number one, we don't know the Bible. Every Christian needs to know God's word. One of the things I love about our Christian school is the fact that the kids are memorizing verses after verse after verse. Did you know that the average person, the average Christian churchgoer can't name more than three apostles or three disciples? Could you name the 12 tribes of Israel? Could you name the books of the New Testament? Pastor, that's too hard. I've got to memorize those things. Play some old rock song that you like that you've listened to for years. You somehow know that. We need to know this book. Secondly and last this morning, why do we, why do we have problems? Because we don't believe in the power of God. Do you believe in the power of God? Oh, he saved me. He, yeah, he did. Do you believe in his power today? He's powerful. He's powerful today. Look at, look at our world. Look at the craziness going on everywhere. God's still powerful today. And think about this. Living inside of each and every one of us that's saved is the third member of the Godhead. Not third because he's lack of importance. No, he is just as much God as the Father, God, the Son. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us as believers today. And there's power there. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives inside of you today. Remember, Paul Paul said these words. You think about it. They're in Philippians 3, verse number 10. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto his death. And Paul has gotten a lot further in the Christian life than you and I. And what did he want? He said, all the things, all my accolades of the past, I count them as dung. They mean nothing to me. I just want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And Christian, we look at life today and we're like, oh, life's so bad. and This situation's not 
getting any better. Hey, is there anything too hard for God? Hey, you know, gas prices are not too hard for God today. Your tough time you're having is not too hard for God today. Do you understand who's there? Do you understand the power that's there? The problem is we don't. Jesus looked at the Sadducees there, the ones who should know the Scripture, the ones who should know the power of God. It's like, you know what your big problem is? You don't know God's Word, and you don't know the power of God. I think Jesus will walk into almost every church in America today say, you know what your problem is? You don't know my word, and you don't know my power. Churches today are like what's described in uh, 2 Timothy. What's the next verse? What is 2 Timothy 3, 5. I think this describes the American church right here, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. When we err and we don't go where we are supposed to do and our minds wander and we get off track, I believe there's two reasons. We don't know God's word and we don't know the power of God. Christian, the best advice I can give you today, get to know God's word. How would I have ever learned how to use a spark plug thing without, uh, can't even know the name of it if I know how to use it. The wrench, there's so many different tools. How would I have ever learned to use you got to use it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then you got to know the power of God. It'll help you. It'll keep you on the straight path. It'll help you from getting veering off. The Bible talks about in the end days, there are going to be many that fall away. There are going to be many that are going after every wave and wind of doctrine. Do you know why? Because they don't know the word of God. And oh, someone said this, and this sounds good. What does the Bible say? Oh, but I like that person. I don't care if you like a person or you like a personality. What does the Bible say? In all honesty, every message I preach that you listen to, you should be looking at the Bible and saying, what does the Bible say? Is Brian saying what the Bible says, or is Brian saying his own thing? And if Brian's saying his own thing, you go with what the Bible says, not what Brian says. And then we need the power of God. We need the power of God. Father, we